Italy and Rondo number nine. You ain't got a stack to see me rap, don't waste my fucking time. Lot of money on the line, please don't get in front of mine. Cause my mama need a brighter wrist, her sun gon' need to shine. Sometimes I be afraid to live, sometimes I'm scared to die. Cause you don't know and I don't know what's on the other side. Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 60, episode 2 of Season Bull Run, where we're going to be interviewing a lot of folks who are working on decentralized finance projects, uh, investing in the spaces like generalized like speculators, uh, and then basically the folks that are helping bring in new users, new fresh Ethereum accounts, new liquidity, and etc. into the space. Uh, and then, which is also going to overall like improve the generalized like UX. So, you know, that being said, we have another great guest on, and I'll tell you who that is in just a moment. But of course, guess who's on the show today again? My favorite co-host, Demetric Ferguson. Don't tell Petty that. Um, <laughs> he's not back for this episode. So it's just me and Demetric who are going to be kicking it here today um, with Pedro Gomez from Wallet Connect. Uh, so, Demetric, you want to give us an introduction on yourself before we discuss Pedro? You know, I do. I just text Corey and let him know. Uh, that I'm the favorite. Um, it feels good to be back. Back from, I guess, a little hiatus from the show. I wasn't on the last one. Kudos on the last one. It was really nice. Thanks, I listened man. to it this morning on the elliptical. So oh, wow. I'm elliptical uh, worthy. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> elliptical lifestyle. This is a lifestyle podcast. You know, it's a blockchain <laughs> lifestyle. You hit the elliptical, you, you stack some sats. It's this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, of course, thanks again for coming back, Demetric. So, you know, we're here for episode two. And, you know, last episode we talked to R.A. Paul and, you know, we got some really good insights on where his head is at in regards to the space, uh, kind of how he looks at, and, you know, investing uh, in different projects. So now we'll just we'll flip, flip the script here and we'll talk directly to uh, another developer. So today, as I mentioned, we have on Pedro Gomez who is a founder and lead developer of Wallet Connect, which is a project that is seeking to, you know, blend the different like wallet uh, functions for in individuals to be able to more aptly import their different like Ethereum accounts and be able to use those interoperably across like different services that implement um, his particular service. So before we get into all that stuff, we want to understand the man behind the project. So Pedro, could you do us a favor and give us an introduction on kind of like who you are, where your mind's at, and how you ended up in the crypto space today? Cool. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Of course. So I I started in e-commerce as a developer. I started building online shops. And one of the things that always uh, really intrigued me was the payment systems like PayPal and Stripe were like my crushes in terms of tech. And then eventually I moved into fintech and I started working in smart banking. So I was always like kind of leaning towards like the personal finance user experience. But after a few months working in, in smart banking, you get a good grasp of the traditional finance regulations and everything. And that's where I got really bored and tired of like developing features and then having to comply with regulators and features getting postponed or canceled. And that's where I got into Ethereum. When I saw smart contracts, it, I heard about Bitcoin before, but it was just eh, internet money. But Ethereum really brought me into the building a smart contract, building applications on chain. That's where I thought this is where 
finance is really going to go and it's going to move away from all the traditional finance and regulations and everything and people will be really in charge of their personal finance and that's the part that i was mostly involved was developing banking interfaces so wallets felt like the really next step and one of the companies that i worked first was balance and balance was developing uh interfaces for not only managing portfolios but also developing a wallet but at the time there weren't many good solutions for building a wallet uh, we actually played around with a semi-custodial solution but then we really didn't want to dive in into the, the the idea of having to manage keys for the user and there was a lot of risk involved in that so we kind of just we started brainstorming about like how could we improve this user experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the first app was Balance Manager, where we developed like a, a way to just manage your tokens and NFTs very nicely. So you could just like log in and have MetaMask and everything. But a lot of the experience was kind of conditioned by the wallet. Like mm -hmm. it was always around we can do as much as MetaMask would allow us, and we really were man we really wish we could just like control the wallet side. We should build a mobile wallet. And then that's that's where the, the direction kind of headed. But the problem was a mobile wallet and our interface weren't really playing together because the beauty of the interface was having the full desktop screen to manage your portfolio tokens, mm -hmm. send, receive, exchange. But how could we then integrate with our mobile wallet, which would store the private keys and we can actually provide a better experience for signing transactions and messages. And that's where Wallet Connect came in. Mm -hmm. And Wallet Connect kind of was inspired by WhatsApp. I remember once I, I'm more of a desktop user. Yep. So I had WhatsApp web and you can just scan a QR code and it just does this handshake between the device. And yep. from that point, you literally just use your desktop. Yep. And that's before, where Wallet Before we go a little bit into you know, more on the tech for what Wallet Connect is, let's, let's just sort of backpedal a little bit more and just sort of dive in more about who you are. Um, so, like, that being said, like, you came in the space, you had, like, you know, your own, like, idealistic view on, you know, openness and, like, permissionless, like, being able to build and innovate on top of these financial tools that you really wanted to do. So you saw an opportunity and niche to sort of, like, break into the space. Um, like that being said, so where did you find your kind of like earliest connections into the community before you started working on balance and all that stuff? How did you sort of make that segue into traditional finance? Here's this thing, Ethereum, cool, smart contract, solidity. Let me do my part to help here. That's actually a pretty funny story, actually. Oh, so I'd love to hear it. I, I, was, I was just doing my day job at the, the smart bank and I would spend most of my time just talking to my peers about look at this thing that the team can do look at this thing that the team could do and they would they would always joke about every day I would have some fun fact about the theorem some cool project that I found and I would just like spend more and more time even during my job like looking to theorem stuff and one of the things that I did most was joining Twitter and start tweeting about the theorem stuff and I, I, I remember applying like on AngelList to a few jobs. I remember I applied for Aragon and other jobs, but at the time I had like no experience in blockchain. So it was definitely a no-go. But uh, on Twitter, through DM, Richard Burton from Balance reached. So that's 
how I got into the space. I just got a DM, and he was like, you seem like a pretty solid <coughs> developer, and you actually know about Ethereum, so we should talk. And then we just met up, and he was in London at the time. That's where I was working before. And then we went to an Ethereum meetup at the time, which was so small. Like at the time, it looked great. But now that I think about it, it was like 20 people. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. It was like the, the first grasp about how people were talking about tokens and creating different interfaces and everything. And at that moment, I was hooked. And that, there, I was just, okay, I got to leave this traditional finance thing. And that's when I joined Balance around mm -hmm. Um, August 2017. So were you so, an early Ethereum developer? I'm sorry, go ahead after me, Dimitri, but I'm just curious. Uh, early Ethereum developer? I mean, excuse me, well, were you an early two, Ethereum two thousand, investor? 2007, 2017 doesn't seem early compared to a lot of folks in this space. <laughs> well, it all depends on like where you're looking at in the charts. Basically, I think it what was, I'm asking is like, were you early entrenched financially, which led to your further, you know, because we're expansion on your motives, or was it just like pure curiosity? Well, I I didn't even own crypto at the time. Oh, like wow. I was really, I was really just. I remember every time I talked, even in my like regular job, I would talk to my peers, and they were like, "Oh, but Bitcoin is going this and this and this," and I'm like. You're missing the point. Like I was, I was completely baffled by how they were looking at the prices, and I was just like, "Look at this tech and everything." And I remember looking at documentation and stuff. And it was only around that year in December that I was like, "Wow, I'm kind of missing this whole bull run. Like I should buy some meat." <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I was like really caught up by the technology and I, I think I missed out a lot of the financial gain in the space. It's okay, but now you I got all the intellectual of, gain and now, that's important. Yeah. Now I'm like full on ETH and like I own more crypto than fiat. Yeah, it's that's a fun game to play. It is fun. <laughs> it's hard to manage sometimes, but it's fun. So my question is... Um, you know, you said you worked in traditional finance and a lot of features yeah. that got derailed, you know, a lot of plans that got you know, thrown in the trash can, things that you just couldn't do because of compliance or otherwise. So how, what were one of the things that you couldn't do that you now can and you're burning crypto? Well, there's a lot of clever ways that you can play around with like, for example, the same way you have compound and everything, we had like these, uh, uh, we called it goals, uh, which were like these kind of like buckets of money that you could put aside and everything. But there's only so much we could do. So what do we end up just doing was just splitting into different accounts. So the person couldn't just like put money aside for a trip or put money aside for a laptop that they wanted to buy. So it was kind of like we just containerized their money into different buckets, but we couldn't do much. Like there was so much we could do, like that could go into savings. That there, there were so many financial instruments that we could build for their own financial empowerment that weren't compliant because there were so many regulation issues with us putting some interest into like those buckets, for example. And mm. yeah, 
So it's kind of like you you wanted to be able to automate people's financial lives in a way that benefited them. But because the regulations and probably let's just get down to the brass attacks, everybody's got to make some money on those processes. You couldn't do it. Yeah, there, there's a there's a very big barrier to new banks. And even we were part of the FCA sandbox in UK, which is a pretty flexible uh, experiment that was mostly driven by Monzo, which is the biggest smart bank there. And even them have like some struggle and now they're a fully licensed bank. So now they now they have like these interest earning buckets and everything. But that, that was completely impossible two years ago, especially for our small smart bank, which had around 50 or 60,000 users. Hmm. What would you say has been one of the most difficult parts of, you know, building Wallet Connect and then finding the appropriate partnerships to like help you abstract away the complexity that, you know, you're so desperate to want to get rid of. So, you know, just like anyone else could build up competing standard for the best method to do this. How did you get everyone at the table to get to agree to use this method? Because I see Wallet Connect everywhere. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome to hear. Uh, yeah, so WallConnect, like I, I later found out, like it took only a month after we published about WallConnect that Uport was like, hey, but that's like Uport Connect. And to some extent, it was the same experience, but the design was different because we really tried to detach a balance from WallConnect. Uh, that was something that Richard really pushed for which was trying to make it as detached as possible from balance. And that was something that I learned a lot about how you can make it as modular as possible that allows everyone to benefit and you can have multiple key players in the system that everyone is incentivized to be part of. Because the more players you have, the, you grow a bigger network and it just grows value. And even we're just talking about the communication layer, which is very basic, like kind of like messaging, but it allowed a lot of applications to kind of share this infrastructure and enrich themselves with having more users from each other. And with Uport Connect, one of the things they had was it you had to use their their servers to communicate. You had to use their libraries. Their libraries worked in a single way. And Walt Connect was trying to serve how do that developers use libraries? Let's try to fit them and then allow wallets to kind of interact as one single unit. So for that developers, they wouldn't worry if this was Trust Wallet or MetaMask. They would just worry about connecting to Wallet Connect. And then it would they wouldn't be vendor locked into a single wallet. And at the same time, we would be trying to modularize the experience for the wallet developers and the dApp developers. And for them, they just see this layer where they magically just connect to each other. Now, outside of this substrate and this layer that you have where essentially it's like, you know, authorize their Web3 accounts against Wallet Connect and then the Wallet Connect has like an SDK that then integrates you know, horizontally across all these different platforms to make that experience more seamless. So that said, what do you think 
you know, since you seem to have modularized this out. So what other sort of useful abstractions do you foresee as being necessary in order to make this even more seamless? So one of the biggest evolutions of WallConnect was that at the beginning, what I called the alpha stage was very tied into the bridge server, which was the transfer between the two. But it wasn't just as a transport. Uh, it was kind of a, a learning experience even for me about building infrastructure not for one company or one app, but for endless, for n apps. And that was like the biggest change between alpha and beta, which was you shouldn't tie a system to do only one thing that you thought it could do. You could try to make it as flexible as possible, but developers could just hook to the system and do whatever they want. And just trying to find the lowest common denominator between what do that developers really need? And one of the things that was very clear was that all that developers need are JSON RPC calls, which is what Web3.js provides them. It's just an abstraction around JSON RPC calls. And another thing that I uh, changed on the beta version was that wallet developers wanted to control the experience more in terms of push notifications. So removing the push notifications from the bridge server allowed them not only to be optional, because some wallets didn't want push notifications because they didn't find it was privacy preserving, but also allowed them to have more control about how they could change the language of a push notification, maybe add some context to the push notification. Mm -hmm. So it made the bridge server actually pretty dumb. It just, it kind of just acted as a tube mm -hmm. between two parties while the other sides could build the experience more fluidly. Outside of just, you know, further abstractions that improve this wallet experience, what other ways, you know, from, you know, account transfer, state channels, things like that, are there any other tools that you guys plan on leveraging to improve your experience that you already have? Yeah. I, I think one of the interesting things about these abstractions is that once you just provide this interface for DAP developers to hook up to a wallet, they are so detached from what the wallet is that the wallet could be so much more. And one of the things that I'm mostly interested in now is how can we provide a much richer experience for smart contract wallets and state channel wallets to be connected to a DAP without requiring anything else from the DAP. So one of the things that we're planning to do is you would have the ability to have different types of account signing requirements. So currently you have a private key on your phone and then you sign a request by passing the request to your phone and you approve it and then you send it back. But what if you want to start a state channel session and once you start Wallet Connect, it will just require request the wallet, hey, I want to start a state channel, and they just provide an, ex an external key to be used within that session. And then that would be the same experience for both meta transactions on smart contract wallets and for app keys on state channels. And the SDK would be able to abstract that in a way that for the DAP developer, they're just using Web2.js like mm -hmm. they used for MetaMask. Mm -hmm. And if for them, there wouldn't be any change. And kind of having that very low friction between what they're used to 
and still kind of providing wall developers to provide better private key management systems is what I'm really focused on. So I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. I want to uh, run it back a little bit. You said you were trying to be like the common denominator uh, of these dApps. And so do you have any like, power metrics? Like how many, you know, common, how many, how many dApps are you connecting? How many people are using Wallet Connect? And how, what can we celebrate here in this conversation as far as, you know, who's using it and how? That's actually a, a really interesting question because I was asked that the other day and I said, I don't know because the bridge server has all the encrypted communications and you just see all of these logs, but you don't know who is who. But I think I'll be able to calculate that very soon. But one thing that I do know is that the downloads have grown exponentially on NPM. So the packages are being downloaded. And I think we're, I don't know the number, actually. I should check that. So as far but as like... It has grown quite a lot in the, late, in the last two months. So as far as like your actual partners you're working with, can you name any that you guys have already integrated with? Yes. Um, in terms of dApps, we have, for example, Zerion has integrated. We have DDX, Binance Stacks, which was one that really blew up mm -hmm. uh, as well. Uh, we have Heroes of Ether, which is a game, mm -hmm. one inch exchange. And these are just dApp applications because on the wallet side, we have Gnosis Safe, we have MetaMask Mobile, we have Trust Wallet, we have Rainbow, Tokenary, Wallof, and you can actually find the full list on walletconnect.org slash apps. Awesome, man. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask next. You guys are everywhere. No, good. That that penetration is important, especially as we sort of like have to blend these standards. Just get the folks who are important using the things that work the best right now. And that's why I was always so proud of the team at Connects, um, because they were always so staunch on, you know, getting partnerships, which would eventually evolve to de deriving the best standards and the best abstractions to improve the overall user experience. So that said, uh, through this process, what do you think has been one of the most important lessons learned that you've um, sort of brought up coming from a traditional, you know, smart finance background and then moving into crypto? Being an entrepreneur, starting this like nonprofit organization, what's 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 really stuck to you um, through this process? So one of the experiences that I gained from a technology standpoint is that I had to find the lowest common denominator. So I had to design the architecture, thinking about that it would have to serve end use use cases that we don't even know. But strategically, from a business side. The most important thing that I should have done is just focus on a single use case and separating the two was the hardest part, which was I had to design a system that would serve all dApps, but in terms of getting that penetration and adoption, I should focus on a single use case and connect to partnerships around that use case. And one of the use cases that uh, served the most for Wallet Connect was decentralized exchanges. Those were the ones that found the most value in Wallet Connect because you had the ability to store the private keys on your phone and still have that desktop full experience for your trades. And that's something that I would recommend if anyone is developing, especially open source projects, which will share the technology with 
a lot of projects it's very important do you uh do you have any like given like what's your give and take on integrating with these different wallets and dApps you know say i make a dap does some wild shit and i need to <laughs> ask you to to change maybe the way wallet connect works or the other way around i made a wallet it's got some crazy functionality that i don't think is going to sync well with uh with wallet connect do you make like are you going to say like tough shit make it work or do you make do you make changes and grow with whoever's working with you that's that's actually a really good question um i always compared my job more to the the ambassadors at the un than like with <laughs> <laughs> <Web> three ambassador <laughs> like, <laughs> because i'm always trying to like get like if you call these nations like wallets trying to be friends with each other uh, it's really interesting because they all have their own incentives and their own roadmaps and i kind of have to be guys we need to find a common ground and agree on something and some wallets have some other features that they want to prioritize and some wallets want to change something that will fulfill their wallet better <laughs> and i have to kind of digest all of the feedback and try to see how I can find the rough consensus between all of them. And sometimes you lose some of them in the process because they didn't want to compromise. And sometimes you find a solution that's kind of nicer for the most wallets. And so you basically just have to try to satisfy the majority, but there's always going to be the minorities that don't agree with the way you do things. And some projects don't, don't even jump on board because they were like, no, we want something completely not privacy preserving. Some wallets wanted full privacy and some wallets didn't want privacy at all because it just ruined the user experience. And I was like, well, but I can't ruin the privacy for the other ones just because he wants that extra touch. So. Mm -hmm. Well, so so now you have this experience as, you know, a crypto political lobbyists of sorts um, to help with these standards. <laughs> That's a what great you, way of putting it. <laughs> so what would you say, what would you say is the next important standard that, you know, outside of Wallet Connect, it's probably a good way to close this up. What's, what's an important thing that you think the Ethereum community probably should focus on standardizing next? I personally am still kind of in my stripe paypal uh, fan fanboy kind of style i still want i'm still chasing the dream to pay for coffee with <laughs> crypto so that's that's still my dream so i have, still think have you tried a lot out of a fold app yet which one fold so fold app is the one that allows you to buy like stargust gift cards all that stuff and you can do it right from your phone this isn't an ad by the way and you can do it from your phone and you can use like, you know, either like a lightning channel that you open up with them and you can actually send instant payments and, you know, get the stuff that you need to make payments right from your phone. Uh, and I know that they support Bitcoin. I'm not how confident I am they support ETH, but they, they definitely are on to something there. So how do the merchants get it? Get uh, so I believe it's Question. just like, so it's, it's purely you're using your crypto and they maintain like a full a float of like, you know, gift card balance. And then they allot the gift card balance to you in exchange for your crypto. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
it's not the most excellent way to you know facilitate yeah. that but it's like hey if you have that means and that access to that pool of gift card balances and there's a lot of arbitrage that happens in the space for instance like purse io does a similar thing um but with uh, amazon gift cards and because that's a very liquid gift card thing so there's a lot of ways to get in from that perspective but when it comes to like small mom and pops and cafes and things like that uh really it's just going to come down to like the the point of sales and either getting to be very very low cost and then support things like eth-based payments etc or it's going to be something like square where they, you know, they have some sort of like ETH-related payment commerce API, and then you can make payments that way. But otherwise, I don't see it coming any easier than, say, gift cards. Yeah, I I kind of really want to get away from gift cards. It's very ambitious, but I, I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I know. know. I've been watching for years, and I've been saying the same thing. Like, when are we going to move away from gift cards? When are we going to move away? And it's just like really the only way. And, you know, I think a lot of it is also because of tax-related reasons and things like that. Like, it's just no one wants to yeah. take a capital gain or have to calculate that simply because they bought a coffee. Uh, wherein when you buy a gift card, that exchange, one for one, you have that balance, you can spend it from then on. And then you only have to worry about maybe one capital gains transaction as opposed to, like, 50, depending on how much you drink coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then same with the crypto-backed debit cards. Like, you loan us crypto, and then we'll give, give you USD, and then you have to pay us back that loan at some point, whether in another fiat currency or in crypto again. And, you know, again, you don't have to worry about capital gains because you're taking a loan in the form of USD, and you're paying back a loan to an individual, so there is no gain. And so a lot of it is just arbitrage around these different sort of like regulatory schemes. And as soon as a major jurisdiction opens that up more, you know, we'll have more flexibility. But until then, our Web3 like freedoms and apps are only going to get so close to everyday retail experiences. The more and more we co-opt current regulators and they loosen the reins a little more and a little more. Otherwise, we're going to be you know, push to use these different niche payment, QR codes, self-owned and controlled proof of sale systems until those walls are down. Um, and then we can connect. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah the, the, I definitely feel like e-commerce will be the first part to kind of unravel to crypto. Have you... Even for, if you think about it, like, who would use crypto the most? It would be most definitely digital nomads who are mostly traveling around and using different currencies. If they could just pay with the same one and own one currency, that would be a great start. Have you guys spoken to the guys at Coinbase Wallet and like Coinbase Commerce? I feel like they'd be really good for what you got going Wallet Connect. Well, they never adopted Wallet Connect. You know, we... We, we've had our conversations. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was curious of because, you know, something about yeah. what you're doing for what they're trying to do, like, you know, their own commerce, like, like a system. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, we could we could ask you questions forever. Uh, but thank you for your time while coming on the show, Pedro, and having a no, discussion with... thank you for with, having me, guys. No, yeah, no, please. You know, we're trying to just have all these discussions with everyone's building you know, Web3, connecting DeFi stuff, 
making speculation and access uh, easier and introducing them to our audience, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of what the guys at Ethub are doing, um, you know, into the ether, all that stuff. Uh, but, but for us, our audience is very interoperable. There's a lot of different folks. So being able to, you know, talk to folks like yourself gives, gives, new exposure that I think is like, important as it goes to this next style, cycle of adoption. So thank you for your time, Pedro. Thanks, guys.